Good evening, church. Good evening. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Especially when there's air conditioning. Amen. Thank God for air conditioning. Before we get started, I'd like to uh, open a word of prayer. So let's pray. My Father, my God, thank you for bringing us all here tonight. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word, for the truth that you speak to us, Lord God, for the relationship you want to have with us through your word. We thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding. And Lord, we just, as we come here tonight, Lord, we ask, I ask, Lord God, that it would not be my own words or my thoughts, Lord God, but that you would speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. As we commit this time to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Excuse me. So last week, we started in chapter 24 of Exodus, and we we went over basically exactly half of the chapter. It dealt with the, the confirmation of the covenant, and that was the Mosaic covenant. And uh, we saw, uh, last week we saw how Moses and the elders uh, started off far from God, separated by their sin. We saw how uh, God invited them to come to him. We saw that he gave them his word. Uh, he atoned uh, for their sin. We saw that there was a, a call to worship, and that call had to be answered. It had to be accepted. We saw that there was the hearing of God's word, and again, that had to be accepted, and the applying of it, which led to the confession of faith or an acknowledgement. And then we, we had the sprinkling of the blood, which was an awakening or really the way we looked at it was as a reminder. And I, I mentioned about how the sprinkling of the blood, when the, uh, when the priest would do that, how that might stain someone's garment and how that might remind you later on. So those are some things we went over last week. This week, the remainder of Exodus 24 is the elders, the priests, and Moses having communion with God and also Moses being called up the mountain one more time by God. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I've, I've titled tonight's message, The Presence of the Lord. The Presence of the Lord. Israel made uh, the burnt offering. They made the peace offering. We read that last week. And now re- they're responding to God's invitation and begin their ascent of Mount Sinai. So with that, I'd like to read the text for tonight. So if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's word will be in Exodus 24, beginning in verse 9. The word of God says, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, 
he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So, beginning in verse 9, then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Basically, Moses, they all went up, leaving the people at the base of the mountain. The remainder of this passage, verses 10 through 18, I want us to look at four things dealing with God's presence. God's presence made known. God's presence saves. God's presence in communion and welcomed into God's presence. First, we'll look at God's presence made known, where God is seen. In verse 10, we read, And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. That description we have from Moses, where he, he, he writes, Under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Some commentators say that Moses and the others had fallen flat on their faces to the pavement there, and they were, or, or maybe even under the pavement as they had a view from under the pavement of, 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 of what they saw under that sapphire looking up to what would be God. Okay, that, that sapphire we read in verse 10, it says it was clear as the sky itself, so it was transparent. They could see through it. And this description that Moses gives here, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's very little, but it is similar to the description we read in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's description of what he saw is very similar to what's here. So in Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, here's what Ezekiel writes about what he saw. Now over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with an appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward, or in other words, from the waist up, something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins downward, again, from the waist down, I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the, the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the glory of the Lord, and I saw it. I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. So both Moses and Ezekiel use, you kind of quote on with what I was trying to stress, they use phrases something like, something resembling, or something with the appearance of. The truth is there were, and nor are there, any words really to describe what they'd seen. But we can be certain that what they did see, as it says there, it says, they saw the God of Israel. Now that word saw, really what it does is convey the message to understand, all right? to examine, to reveal, to inspect, or be held. They, their gaze was upon this 
this manifestation that they saw. All right? It wasn't like a quick glimpse or anything like that. Uh, we're certain that they saw the God of Israel. Now, we sometimes immediately begin to think as studying for this, you think of what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.16, uh, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So how did they really see God? Did they really see God? They saw a glimpse of God. God, in some manifested form that he chose, he chose to reveal himself in a way which the human eye could see. That was his revelation. They saw, it says, the God of Israel. They saw Jehovah, the God of the fathers. Not an angel, not a God, but the God, Yahweh. We see God as uh, children of Christ, amen? We see, we see how God makes himself known in our lives, in the lives of others, okay? God still does miracles today, amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, I mean, I mean we, we've, we've had plenty of situations right here in, in this church. People have tests done, they have x-rays done or, or things of that nature, and they find tumors or whatever it might be. They go in for a follow-up or they go in for the procedure and there's nothing there. Amen that God would do that. Israel had seen God. They'd seen God in the plagues. They'd seen him in the death angel. They'd seen him as a pillar of fire, as a cloud, in the crossing of the Red Sea, in the destruction of the Egyptian army, in the provision of water, manna, and meat. Now they're permitted a glimpse of his likeness. This is a personal and intimate encounter. It's a happy occasion. This is, what's happening here is the culmination of the confirmation of that covenant, okay? The ratification, Okay, uh, this, is, this is the culmination, the celebration of a union that could not be broken. If you remember last week, I mentioned that the difference between a contract and a covenant in a contract is this is yours and that is mine. But in a covenant, I am yours and you are mine. It's different. So God is theirs and they are God. God's courtship of Israel from Egypt to the foot of Mount Sinai, God's intimate betrothal to Israel is seen by how Moses refers to God as the God of Israel. They belong to him. I am yours and you are mine. Now granted, this is a representation of God that they saw. It was, again, how God chose to reveal himself, but they undoubtedly knew that they had seen God. Jesus Christ atoned for our sin, and we are now God's people. Amen? Through our great high priest, Jesus, we now have access to God. God has also given us a glimpse of himself. We see God. We see God in his word. Amen? That's where we see God. He gives us his spirit so that we can understand. That is how we draw, we draw near to God. We worship what we are connected to. We went over this last night, as a matter of fact, in couples. One of, the, one of the sections in our study was, you become what you worship. 
I found that very interesting how true that really is. So we, we worship what we're connected to, and we become that, that what we worship. So we need to abide in who? Abide in Christ. Abide in God. And we draw near to him through his word. In his high priestly prayer recorded in John 17, in verse 21, Jesus says this. This is his prayer for us. They may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer is that we would abide with God, in God, in him, and that God would be with us. The following verse also confirms that they did see God. Moses writes in the first part of verse 11, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. So it had to be God, but he revealed himself in a way, in a gracious way, in a merciful way, that they would know without a doubt that it was him. So in verse 11, we see God's, that God's presence saves. God's presence saves. I don't think Moses, again, was surprised that they had survived, but because it was a theophany and not the true face of God is why they survived. We read in, in verses like in Exodus uh, 33, verse 20, again to Moses, you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Now, God doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't show himself here and then say that. But he shows himself in a way that's undoubtedly they know it's him. A theophany, as most of us know, is a manifestation of God that is tangible to the human senses. We also see in verse 11, God's presence in communion. He writes, And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Or we really can read that verse, As they saw God, they ate and drank. It wasn't as if they, just, they saw him and then they went and sat down and had a meal. God, they were in the presence of God when they had this meal. It was as if God was having this meal with them. It was a time of communion with God, between God and those men. On a, on a kind of a side note, you think, okay, well, what, what did they eat? God could have provided them the food. I, I, did they pack a lunch? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe, they, maybe they brought that. I think they brought the meat up from the peace offering. I think that's what they had because that's customarily what they would have. But this meal is not about the menu. This meal is a meal of covenant fellowship. Part of ancient Near Eastern culture was that you shared a meal with someone. It would convey a message of your acceptance or approval of them. That is why Jesus was criticized so much by the Pharisees for times when he ate with tax collectors and sinners and non-practicing Jews. Sharing a meal with someone sent a message that you approved of their behavior, almost like-minded. Perhaps during this meal, Moses, God's the mediator, right? he may have represented God and sat there. I don't know. In the first half of chapter 24, we had, again, the call to worship, the reading of God's word, the confession of faith, and the sprinkling of blood. This meal, again, concluded that ceremony, the ratification of the Mosaic Covenant, 
where God began in Exodus 19. We read verses 5 and 6. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God invited them to come, then atone for their sin with the blood of the covenant. He spared them his wrath and gave them a glimpse of himself, almost a foretaste of heaven. Anyone who's put their faith and trust in the atoning work of Jesus Christ also will not taste a drop of God's wrath. Amen? None of us in this room will ever, ever taste it. He has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Romans 5, verses 9 to 11, we read, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice. We celebrate God's mercy, God's grace every time, right? We come once a month to the Lord's table. The Lord's table and this covenant meal that they had, again, symbolizes communion with God. It also is a picture of, of the great marriage supper of the Lamb that we'll have one day. And that's recorded in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 to 9. We read, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the words of God. Jesus also describes his kingdom as having a great banquet. In Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This association with food, this time of communion, this, it's an intimate time. Church, if, if those of us that have families, if, if, if we're not doing it, we, we need to do it. We need to sit as families and have dinner together. I know we get busy. I know there's a lot going on. But I think you can all agree that in those times when we're all together around that table, how intimate that can be, how close we can become, getting to know each other, getting to know the concerns of one another. A meal brings people together. A meal is communion time. The covenant feasts, the meal on the mountain, the Lord's Supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb show us that God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to draw closer to Him. God desires communion with His people. These meals, again, are for His invited guests, His children. And one day we will be part of that great marriage supper. Amen? But until that day, we have communion with God in His Word, in the observance of His table. We see God in His Word, and we have communion with Him. We remain and we abide with Him. So, 
We have the presence of God known, the presence, God's presence says, God's presence in communion, and lastly, welcomed into God's presence. Verses 12 to 14, we read, Now, or now that the covenant is sealed, it's done, it's been confirmed, we've celebrated. Now, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me. Come up to me on the mountain and remain, or wait there. And I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. So again, God is calling Moses up. Come up to me. Come up into my presence and wait. Literally wait. Right? He says, I have written these stone tablets. I've written these, the law for their instruction. It's, it's almost as if God is saying, I spoke those words to the people in chapter 20. Then I had you, Moses, repeat the same words. So just to make sure there's no misunderstanding, no misinterpretation, and to know that they are from me, I am going to personally provide you with those tablets. I will write those stones. And Moses said to the other men, wait here until we return. In other words, don't move from here until we get back. Until then, the priests are given the responsibility of being judges over the people in the settling of any matters that may arise. I can't, think of help, I, I can't help but think of, of this a, a picture of, of Gethsemane. When Jesus and the disciples get there, and then he asks the three to pray, and he goes off and he prays. And then he comes back, and they had fallen asleep. We know what happens when Moses goes back off the mountain, right? They're worshiping the golden calf. And we'll get to that later on as we go through Exodus. God writes on stone tablets for Israel, but he's also written his law on the heart of man, you and I. Romans chapter 2, beginning of verse 14, we read, For when Gentiles do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. In other words, even people who don't have God's written law or have heard him, heard his word show that they know his law. How? Because man instinctively obeys it, even without having heard it. By instinctively obeying it is proof that God's law, again, is written on our hearts. Our own conscience and thoughts either indict us or tell us that we're doing right. And a day is coming when God, through Christ, will judge everyone. Let us continue in verse 15, Exodus 24. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Again, that cloud, representative of God's glory, God's 
presence. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud cover it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Verse 17, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. It was a devouring fire. It was an inferno on that mountain. And verse 18, Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up the mountain. Moses was received by God. And Moses on the mountain, Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses remained in the cloud all that time, 40 days and 40 nights. We learn that he wasn't just hanging out while God chiseled away the commandments on the stone. Moses records in Deuteronomy 9, verse 9, what was hap- part of what was happening. He says, When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord had made with you, then I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. So we know I was up there. He didn't have anything to eat or anything to drink. In addition to not eating or drinking, we read later in Deuteronomy 9, verse 18, that Moses did the same thing. And this was after the the golden calf incident, when he went back up Mount Sinai after the golden calf. He said, I fell down before the Lord as the first 40 days and nights. He fell down. He laid prostrate before God. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So he was up there. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He laid down worshiping God. And quite possibly, this was when God spoke to Moses uh, what we read in chapters 25 to 31 the details of the tabernacle, as he confidently waited on the Lord for those stone tablets that he said he would provide him with. Moses didn't eat. He didn't drink. Communion with God is what sustained him. My prayer for myself and for each one of us is that our communion with God would grow deeper. When we enter into his presence through his word and prayer by the power of his spirit, that we'd be dependent on nothing else, having no distractions as we meet God in his word. Again, as it says in Matthew 4, 4, for man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So just a quick recap. God's presence was made known. God was seen. For Christians, for us today, God is present with us by His Spirit in us. Amen? Brothers and sisters, are we seeing God? Are we seeing God in His Word? Are we resting there? Are we abiding in Him? Are we drawing near to Him in His Word? God's presence saves. And then we have God's presence in communion. First Peter 2.9 says, Peter writes, We are chosen belonging to God. We have been reconciled with God through Christ, so let us celebrate that. 
One day we will be at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And lastly, being welcomed into God's presence. God wrote on stone tablets and he's given us his word and his spirit. God has received us through Christ and we have a foretaste of communion with him as the great marriage uh, supper. We have joy in that we have fellowship with God from obeying him and trusting him. David says this in Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Have we determined to live by bread but not by God's word alone? So my, my, my prayer is that we, you know, we see God's presence in this chapter. And, the, and I know 